Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. We got a great program for you today, but you know what, folks? It is packed. Lawyer author Catherine Pugh provides a necessary take on the Will Smith slap. I know it's overdone, but this is real. Our nuclear past comes back to haunt, maybe. Scarborough. His GOP repentance, that's on board. But we're also going to talk about an inconvenient truth about drugs at the border. We don't make drugs. It's just a capitalist thing, man. It is folks saying we can do it. And folks, last but not least, we have Marilyn Morrow, senator from Michigan. But you know what we say? Let's get busy. Joe Scarborough had a confession today about conservatism within the Republican Party, and what the Republican Party, what we know have always represented, but somehow they have always tried to say, you guys are just playing that card. You guys are just playing that card. Well, Joe Scarborough took the scab off. And remember, this is conservative, former Republican Joe Scarborough. Yes, we know that over the years, he has to many become a bit more progressive, but I don't consider him a progressive. I still consider him very conservative. But listen to this, because I think this is going to blow quite a few people's minds when they listen to it. Check it out. Over the past six years, the two things that have disturbed me the most have been uh, the right's positions on race uh, and my own churches, the evangelical churches uh, uh, posture towards Trumpism and uh, some of the things we've seen. I spent my entire life. Uh, going on shows, going on politically incorrect at the time, uh, going on hardball, uh, talking about how what Kevin Phillips and other uh, people in the media were saying about the Republican Party and race were a lie, that the Southern strategy was an oversimplification, that my family, uh, we were conservatives, and I explained why we were conservatives, uh, why people in my community were conservatives. And I was proven wrong. I was shocked by what I saw over the past five, six years. Donald Trump and the Muslim registry. Donald Trump saying Hispanics are breeders. Donald Trump. I could go down the list talking about the others, telling people to go home. Members of Congress, uh, black members of Congress. How, how could it be that people like David French and myself and other Republicans grew up saying everything that liberals said about our party was wrong when Donald Trump actually seemed to validate much of what they were accusing us of. We spend a lot of time. Now think about that. Think about what he just said there. He just told you the party that I served, I had to admit 
I was wrong. It was a party from the Southern strategy right back to the present. It's not that libs misunderstood it. It's not that libs were trying to play a card with it. It really was that the Republican Party is, by design, a racist party. Now, we're not talking about all the, 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 the people who make up the party, because I could, I could bring some, like some good old Democrats as well. So don't think that we're so naive to believe that this only occurs within the Republican Party. The difference, however, is that it is codified in the Republican Party, whereas in the Democratic Party, we have the semblance of some sort of unity. But, you know, uh, don't don't let that be too distracting. I had a long conversation with one of you over the phone this morning who was was sort of upset that I continue to not place complete blame on conservatives and Republicans uh, for this mess that we're in, both racially, economically, etc., and what I tried to explain to him is that there was a lot of money devoted to create who Republicans are. I, I would be remiss if I don't remind folks that back in the 60s, some of the folks who really helped the civil rights bills get through Congress were, in fact, Republicans. And the truth of the matter is that Democrats, there were some Democrats who then became the Dixocrats, who then became Republicans, a, a complete switcheroo that occurred. So we shouldn't really sit back there and, uh, and just think that people are just inherently evil. What I explained was simple. What I told him was, there's a lot of money that's been devoted to convince many uh, to think the way they do. And there's there's also let's progressive Democrats. Too often we don't invest the time in not pleading our case because it's not just about pleading your case. It's about familiarity. It is about making folks understand that you're in the same boat, you believe you're in the same boat. It's about not allowing them to see you as a stranger. And people say, well, you know, there are some people out there that they're just racist. Yes, there are some. We're not going to change everybody. We're not going to change everybody in a party. Like I said, if you come to the Democratic Party, and I've given you guys a story about being at Netroots, the biggest liberal blogging convention there is, and still being marginalized because of my hue. I've told that story. So it is important for us as progressives. Remember, the progressive side, 50 plus one isn't enough, which is what I was talking to our, our good member here. 50 plus one is not enough. We don't have the luxury because of the way we are distributed in this country to simply win with a 50 plus one strategy. We always have to win with a super majority strategy. Otherwise, we give the mansions of the world who are in, this, in the stalls of the plutocracy as well the ability to change who we are, what ability to change what we are going to do or what we need to do to move the progressive movement forward to ensure that people are treated humanely, to ensure that people have the things that they need from healthcare to childcare to family leave to uh, 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 student debt relief, all of that. So it's a good start that. El Senor Joe Scarborough has 
admitted that reality that codified within the Republican Party is a degree of implicit racism in code. And in, in accepting that and bringing that forth to many others, it may open the eyes. A conservative who left the party saw how things really are, and he decided to do something. Next question then is, for my conservative listeners, for my Republican listeners, are you willing to stay in your party? And I'm not telling you to leave your party, but are you willing to stay in your party, change it, and do what's right? And in the next few election cycles, vote for democracy, which in this case means ensuring you don't vote for absolutely any Republicans. Because at this point, until that party atones, until that party uncodifies its evil, no one who has morals should vote for anyone pertaining to the Republican Party. Recently, uh, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow gave a hell of a speech after a, con a, a senator, Republican senator, in a fundraising newsletter uh, implied that she was some sort of, uh, she wanted to allow kindergartners to be sexualized or they were grooming them to be sexualized, etc. I mean, it is, it is a position that, that the Republicans have been trying to put in the ethos to scare white women from voting for white women with children in schools to use it as a wedge issue they believe worked in Virginia to win these elections. Actually, the governor in, in, uh, eked it out in, in, in Virginia, right? Well, this woman gave a hell, this senator, uh, senator state senator uh, Mallory McMahon gave a hell of a speech that really admonished Republicans. But it's what she had to say in the speech, to, in an interview on uh, Joe Scarborough today that I think is of importance. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. I'm curious about the senator uh, who made this accusation that you were uh, you were upset that kindergartners uh, couldn't be sexualized and that you were a groomer effectively. When you looked directly at Senator Tice yesterday and said what you said, did she look back at you? Because everyone's very tough online on Twitter and fundraising emails. What did she do back? What did she say back? She said nothing back and couldn't even be bothered to look me in the eye. I looked at the back of her head the entire speech. She turned away from me. And, you know, in part of that fundraising email, she accused me of being an online social media troll. And yeah. I have never been one to shy away from saying things to people's face. And she's too much of a coward to even acknowledge my existence. Um, what has changed in the last few years? It is this rising extremism. And we've seen this play out with gerrymandering. You know, the fact is Michigan is a very purple state. We vote pretty evenly Democratic uh, versus Republican. But the legislature, particularly the state Senate, has been Republican controlled since 1984, despite the fact that in 2014, they only got less than 50 percent of the votes. They got 72 percent of the Senate seats. And it encourages going further and further to the fringes. And we had you know, an attempted kidnapping of the governor. And we just saw how that trial played out. But the day that we learned in the Senate about that plot, the Senate majority leader 
walked out of our Senate chambers, walked to the front of our Capitol and rallied with the same hateful conspiracy theorists that plotted that kidnapping that came to our chambers fully armed and threatened us and told them to keep going. Mm. That's where we're at right now. And unless we all push back and vote them out of office, it's not going to get any better. How has the response been to your speech on the floor? I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. This was definitely not something that I wanted to do to, to go viral. But if the message is that hate won't win, I think we're proving that. And we have to say it loudly and clearly and, and stand up for those who are being attacked because one day it might be us. And I know that everything that I felt the day that Lana Tice accused me of being a groomer and sexualizing children is that much worse for a trans kid who is getting attacked every single day, who just wants mm. to go to school and have friends and get through the day. The response has been overwhelming. And my hope is that other white women like me who are doing okay are the ones to stand up and put an end to this because it won't unless we do it. We Now she hits the nail on the head. I mean, she had some very important messages and I want you to think about it. First of all, you know, we've spoken about this country being undemocratic for quite some time now, that they've gotten less than that. The Republicans got less than 50 percent of the votes and still ended up with 70 percent of the senators. Says much about our democracy. But she also had a message and specifically a message to white women, because that is that is the that is the the the, uh, the identity that these guys are trying to get into right now because they know it's a very democratic identity. So what they want to do is put the fear into these women. Their school is under attack. They're going to do this to your kids. And she's saying, no, the people that are, that are, that, that succumb to that fear so far has been white women. And she's saying white women stand up. It is time for you not to allow them to use you as pawns to do wrong in this country. I thought her message today was a necessary addition to much of what she said yesterday because she presented to, to, to America exactly what's going on and what needs to be done. Bruce says it's not a bad idea that it's how drugs sneak in, not across the river. We just need to think this out like it was thought out for the air passengers. I, 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 I'm, I love you, Bruce, but I beg to differ in this regard. I, I don't know if you were here when I gave the, the, the story about Panama. The problem isn't on the supply side. The problem is on the demand side. America demands drugs. Okay? If you want to solve the problem at the border with drugs, let stop Americans from wanting drugs. We love our drugs. We love our marijuana. We love our coke. We love our amphetamines. We love all of that. In fact, we love it so much that we have a legal sector and an illegal sector. We have we have the legal sector selling de- more, drugs that are more dangerous than the ones coming over from Mexico. If you doubt it, ask my daughter about some of the drugs that she's had to take. So that's all I'm saying. You know, we we allow them to design how we think about drugs and all these kinds of things, right? I'm for legalizing everything and then solving the problems afterwards. Because, I mean, nobody had to tell me not to do drugs. I didn't do drugs. I'm not trying to be a goody-two-shoe at all. I swear to God, I have a lot of friends that do drugs. I love them. And, and, I, and, I don't, and, and by the way, I have a lot of friends who drink as well. I don't think 
drinking alcohol is any different than smoking marijuana. It's any different than taking Coke. I had a friend in college that took a lot of Coke. His body could handle the Coke. He was a fully functional Coke addict. He could, he could take Coke or he could leave Coke alone. Doesn't matter with him. I had another friend in college that the first time he took Coke, he became an addict and it destroyed his life. I have a friend who is an alcoholic, destroyed his life. I have a friend who drinks a lot like a, like, like a, soul, like a, like a sailor, never gets drunk and, ne- and, and can do without alcohol. Again, it's, it's, it is what we've done with uh, criminalization of drugs. It's crazy. We've made drugs into something that it shouldn't be. And by the way, I just came to this conclusion several years ago when I really sat down and analyzed it. People self-medicate with alcohol. So others may decide to do it with marijuana. Come on, man. Better than not everyone is like you and your opinion on drugs is so low to people that lose kids to fentanyl. What about people who lose kids to a fever that they couldn't solve because uh, because the Republicans in Texas didn't give us Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act. So you're going to tell me somebody's going to get mad at me because I said I want to legalize drugs so that those people who lost their kids, instead of losing their kids because they had to hide and take drugs, they could take drugs and get the help that they needed. Right. The difference, again, though, is that what our Republican congressional, what our Republican legislature is doing by denying people health care, by denying people education, they are killing people. What I am talking about is making people have the options that they can get help or we can provide help to them. Don't conflate them. Open your mind. I want you to listen to Nina Khrushcheva, Professor Nina Khrushcheva. She brought up an inconvenient truth, an inconvenient reality that we have to face whenever we think about this with the Russia and the possibility that they will actually use uh, nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Check this out and then we'll take it to the other side. Now to talk more about the situation in Ukraine, Nina Khrushcheva. Professor of International Affairs at the New School. Professor, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. It seems as though U.S. has expressed worries that Putin could possibly resort to using nuclear weapons. You say Ukraine's president has asked for radiation pills in preparation for a possible Russian nuclear attack. Is that a possibility, you think? Well, I mean, the conversation about this has been going on for months. We know that. Uh, but we also see that uh, the Russians essentially escalating all the time. And even when they escalate, this still ends up, they end up escalating. So, I don't know. I, I cannot predict that, but I would not really exclude it from a realm of unfortunate possibilities. I, I hope it doesn't come to this, but it is possible that tactical nuclear weapons, the way it was used in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 by the United States, potentially, once again, not a prediction, not even knowledge, but potentially, uh, potentially may happen. If that possibility does occur, it would change. It would change everything, right? It will change everything. And of course, the Russians would say, I mean, once again, I I hate to speculate because I'm almost afraid that once we talk about more, we are going to to kind of bring it in. Uh, But uh, Russians, of course, will cite the example of the United States in 45. They needed to end the war. So that's how we end the war. Um, You know, Ukraine was asking for it. The West was asking for it. Yes, it will. I mean, 
things already have changed. I mean, Russia is at war with the world, but that will make it infinitely worse for the Russians. And that's why I, I hope somebody there in the Kremlin can, can calculate it still and uh, still will be able to exclude this scenario from happening. A lot of time. Now, that is serious. In other words, the Russian can actually cite us as the reason and the rationale for actually using atomic weapons. Now, look, um, there, there, are a lot, there are a lot of things that the Russians are going to put out to the world. And in fact, in discussions that we don't hear in the United States, I've seen them on TV in India. I've seen them on TV in Pakistan and other places where American professors are over there as guests. And these, uh, these learned people overseas would remind a lot of these professors of several things, right? They would remind them of the invasion of Panama, where there were thousands of Panamanians killed because, innocent Panamanians killed because America wanted to get their man, Antonio no, Manuel Antonio Noriega. They will remind us of when the United States invaded Iraq, and they would say, um, the, the United States, yes, they were going to take care of the military, but in the process to knock a whole lot of things out, did they sacrifice a lot of innocent civilians? It's not true that a lot of the drone warfare that we conduct here kill a lot of innocent, so, so innocent civilians. So we have to be cognizant of all these issues, but more than just cognizant of these issues, we have to be humble. We have to realize that uh, while we may think we're right about certain things and it justify us killing, you know, some innocent people in the process. When you look at a when you look at a <laughs> Russia, Russia will turn all those things against us. Are we like Russia? Are we as evil as is Russia? No, we're not. But again, they create a good pretext and then using what we have done in the name of the United States and many countries overseas, that will make a story that some will accept. I think we need to be humble and we need to start uh, atoning for much of what we ourselves have done. Let me introduce our wondrous guest first before I tell you how we met. Catherine Pugh is an American author and attorney. She has published several Anthologies on race engagement in America and on defects and cures in American policing. Ms. Pugh is a former adjunct professor at Temple University, Japan, and a law professor of Temple Abizri School of Law. She served with the Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, Special uh, Litigation Section, and was a public defender in the state of Maryland. Ms. Pugh is currently writing her first book, BS, Burden Shifting, because ending racism was never the assignment. Miss Pugh, Catherine Pugh, thank you so kindly for being here on Politics Done Right. Thank you for having me. Well, let me tell you, Miss Pugh, um, first of all, um, I, I met you on a Twitter chat discussing something as simple as the right. slap, the slap heard around right. the world. And I am not really sure if, um, if we were in disagreement or what, but I told you after seeing you had some extensive discussions there, and I just wanted to pick your brain and see what you thought about what actually occurred okay. and, and then what it really means. OK, and so I, I want to start with um, saying that I think where we were talking about where we were was 
who can engage? How does that engagement happen? You know, what makes that engagement um, valuable? Okay. And that's sort of where we met around that topic. But of course, as you said, the topic was the slap, right? And so as we all know, Will Smith um, slapped Chris Rock. It sort of put the nation in a bit of a tailspin. And I I hear people saying, oh, you know, let's talk about something more important. Um, We have, you know, Senate confirmations for the Supreme Court and we have, uh, you, you, you know, all kinds of interesting things going on in the world. Uh, we're warring with Ukraine and we're not us, uh, Russia. And so why don't we talk about those important things? And I just want to pull that back just a little bit and, and re-anchor this as important. Okay. And so in and of itself, the one event is important, but what we do with it is hugely consequential. Okay. And what we're talking about doing now with it is, uh, you know, sort of a put everybody in the ring and have a fight the other side of an outcome. And I think that we are really on the on the brink of, of being very dangerous. I think when we have a great opportunity to stop and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's happening here? Okay. We saw an act of violence. I mean, everybody sort of has to walk their papers out and say, I disagree with the act of violence. I'm among those people, uh, a very early disagreeer. Um, but I'm also really, really locked into a fair and consistent response, right? Not an emotional one, not a, uh, you know, fantastical, retweetable one, but a fair and consistent response. We're not getting that. We're not getting that reception. We're getting a lot of energy and a lot of anger and a lot of, you know, thrown to the wolves. But we really need to take a step back and go, well, what do we normally do here? And can we do that again? Or is something else necessary? We have to have that conversation. Why is it important? Why is it of national importance? Because we typically, um, when we have to make these decisions about bad behavior in the country, we typically make them more aggressively when the bad actor is of color, less aggressively when the bad actor is not. I like to say we learn of our tolerance in our judicial system when we have a white defendant. We do. We learn about nuance. We learn about this is what happened and this was the history and this is why all of this mattered. We learn about teeth when the, the, the person on the other end is someone of color, a bifurcated system of accountability. I'm not doing that. Everything that you've said there, I agree with. And, in, 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 and, and what you said there, I think that it's so important that uh, when you made the statement about if you want to know the compassion of our system, see how first it treats a white defendant, et cetera. Um, with that all together, I think the portion of the conversation that probably was not very um, understanding in, that I came out with was I said, for all practical purposes, I just wanted to say he was wrong, but I didn't really care about it because right. my concern was that had Chris Rock been a white, uh, a, a white comedian, would our good old Will Smith do the same thing? I don't know. I don't have the answer, but mm-hmm. I just know that it, my gut feeling is that it would have been unlikely. And then I also said within the context of your discussion, I said, but I'm a political activist. When I see Will Smith invest in right. those things that you work right. for, 
and others work for, right. then maybe I'll have a more vested interest. I want you to tell me what I should, you know, why I should give a little bit mm. more rationale behind it. I think we're in a very risky place if we start deciding who we're going to apply uh, a response to fairly based on how we feel about them. And that's exactly where we are. That's exactly why our system sort of fails us, because that's what's already happening. What I want for me, what I task you with is not having to have a precondition in order to treat humanity. I mean, I know we touched on, I don't want to, want to lose two points that you raised. Um, and one is that questions to you about how Will Smith would have performed if Chris Rock was white, right? I have real questions about that. Um, for the same reason, are you making up different rules for depending on who's on the other end? And, you know, I think that we are probably in lockstep about where we think this would have landed if, it, if Chris Rock was white. Putting that aside, uh, the other thing is that Chris Rock himself um, was extraordinary in his response. And I have to keep saying that. I mean, I, and it's not, it has nothing to do with whether we're, what we're going to do with Will and, and those things, but we're so focused on this lack of control by Will Smith. No one is looking at this Herculean effort by Chris Rock. I'm going to tell you something. I need you to find, count how to been slapped. Not just slapped, not just in a room, but in front of all the world, so to speak, and just held it together. We're talking about all of it, right? We're talking about the spectrum. I am glad that you centralized on Chris Rock. I, I, I wanted to centralize on Chris Rock because I thought that was the example to be seen, that, that somebody, uh, you know, an aggressive, he, he dispelled the notion of the angry black man and the black man without self-control. That's one. As did Jada. Both of them were like, well, this is how the business goes. Let's keep it moving. Right. You know? And number two, so, here we have the Oscar, the first time put on by a black producer, as I understand, black mm -hmm. writers, etc. And we have a Will Smith that couldn't control his emotions. And right. you, you follow what you, you see where I'm going. It, it, it is right. like right. of all the times you look to misbehave is at that point in time. And, you know, this is a perfect segue into where we um we began our conversation because my uh, insistence is to constantly pull it back, re-anchor it right into what's going on. I mean, I, I, everyone has an opinion, right? But if I need, I need to hear from, I need to hear informed opinions. Otherwise what we're hearing is just a reaction. And so all of the reactions were sort of explosive and extreme and, and, I'm really uncomfortable with how comfortable we are at looking at the, the whole thing and picking out the, the fantastical, the bombastic, right? And that being the narrative. And so I'm pulling it back every time. I'm pulling it back when we talk about Will Smith over Chris Rock. I'm pulling it back when we talk about expulsion over, you know, precedent. I'm pulling it back because we're not going to be fantastical when uh, when the bad actor and I, I mean, that's a sort of a legal phrase, the bad actor, uh, so to speak. And I don't mean his Will Smith right, is right. a bad. Right. OK. And so we're not going to be fantastical. And, and that's a way of life we can't afford to live. And I think we specifically landed on um, the question was I think there was a comment that was well, I'm hearing a lot of white comedians jump in and. Uh, 
you know, on the slap. And I find that gross. There was a, a, a comment yeah, on, on Twitter. Yes. Right. Okay. And so um, you, you had a, a sort of a, a range of responses, but, but in there, when we sort of drill down to the question of white pylon, that's, that's where I'm pulling back and going, stop. I'd really like us to do this the normal way. Right. And so when we talk about white pylon, why is that a problem? Historically, we have learned that, um, as I said, I think we have a very disparate system of accountability when it's a black person or a person of color versus a white person. And and invariably, all right, overwhelmingly, those systems of accountability are navigated, controlled, moved through white spaces. And so I want to be careful not to say uh, there can be no white participation. I'm going to insist on informed participation. And I'm going to say we very often find a combination of uninformed participation and bombastic participation when the focus is Black. And so we're finding that here. And I, I those are the things I am saying, I think we need to stop and pay attention because I think we're about to go off the rails when this is these are not new issues for the Oscars. Um, they're not. They're not new issues for the Academy. We're not discovering anything. So we don't need to discover some new rules because the person is Will Smith. We've seen violence uh, in the Academy. We've seen assault during an Academy presentation. We've seen, uh, you know, a, a case of violence where but for the intervention of six armed men, a woman would have been, um, uh, I, I, I don't know what, I don't want to describe what I'm speaking of, of, um, oh my God, John Wayne, John Wayne, uh, you know, there was a point where John Wayne was back on the stage and there was a presenter who was very angry about, he was storming the stage. It took six people to bring him down. That person had to be walked off of the stage after, you know, her comment and, and protected by those people to keep from being physically harmed. We're not new about this. Let's not act brand new. Let's go back to precedent and see how we handle it. I guess, first of all, I have to tell you that you just told me things that I absolutely didn't know. I was just informed of all these. As you can see, I'm not the person that watches the Academy or the Oscars or anything. All I saw was somebody, <laughs> somebody. Right. So that, that is what it's. But now that I know that I'm informed uh, as far as. Right. Right. So I'm informed of that now. And I think that is necessary. Now, yesterday or I think over the weekend, Tiffany Cross, somebody I love. I love her show. I blog her show. I do a whole lot with her show. Um, but she sort of made some news yesterday when she said no white person needs to comment on this. And I it, it, that kind of took me aback where um, I, I wanted I wanted to know if we should not cater that message differently, because I don't know if it's a fear assessment. You tell me being the expert. Taylor, in I, a very, very similar message, but my message is just a tad bit more nuanced. What I say is, if you have not, if you did not care about, if you did not engage in questions of violence and you're made and listen and ask more questions than make more statements. And I think you know, if I find somebody who is um, if I find somebody who is new at it, 
There's an author named Johnny Silvercloud. He wrote an article that said to the effect, we can't tell white people not to participate in this conversation because, you know, the, we can't tell white actors. It was his specific uh, piece on medium. We can't tell white actors not to participate. And I engaged in that article because I'm not exactly uh, sure that that's comprehensive enough. What we can do is we can say brand new people need not apply. If we're being brand new about it, you need not apply. We, I don't know that it's fair to say all white people are brand new about it, but I do know that it is fair to say we as a country, uh, race is dip, deeply embedded in our psyche, deeply embedded in ways that we don't fully know and have not explored and don't understand. What we do know is there's a, a huge disparity when there's a white evaluator of a black bad actor. There's a huge disparity. And that's that's sort of a non-negotiable. And so I think for a for a while as a country, we have to stop and go, we know this is a problem because we all know it's a problem. How do you fix this problem? This is how we stop and say, hold on, we know this specific flow is a problem. And so before we, you know, before there's this free participation by everyone, I need to see your bona fides. I need to see that you cared about this before today, because if you didn't, then I'm not really sure why you, your contribution is, should be valuable. Now it's an uninformed contribution. It's a also called a reaction. And so we, since we know that happens, if you want to weigh in, have you cared before? If you want to impose consequences, what were those patterns before, right? Opinions aren't valuable. Informed opinions are. And I think that that's a shortcut way. I think to when, when you hear things like white folks need not participate, it's a shortcut way to say, hold on, I don't quite I can't take it on faith that you're going to come at this with um, fairness and reasonableness and balance, not because of what I've seen with you personally, but because of what we have learned historically. We're at the point where maybe for the next couple of maybe for the next century, we need to pause a little bit. And when we're going to, to engage on something or land on something, I need to see that you should be participating, not that you want to participate in a lynch mob. I think that is a nuance that, um, especially in these times, it's a nuance that I think needs to be articulated because, like I said, um, my friend, uh, when, when uh, Tiffany said it, you know, the first thing that happened to me was like, oh, I don't know how that is going to go across because that is then going to that is now going to become the, the discourse as opposed to the underlying thing that we need to discuss. You know, the nuance that you brought out, I think it's important because also within your nuance also says Candace Owens need not apply. OK, and so the thing about the nuance is it says anybody who's brand new needs not apply. Right. Right. And, and that's what. Yeah. And so. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop at the identity of the, 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 the brand new person, but we cannot weed out the identity because we do know. I don't think it's a debate unless, you know, you'd like to have that debate. I don't think it's a debate about the disparity when the evaluator is white and the bad actor is of color. I don't think that's a debate. I think we have to then and if unless we want to continue to see that, how do you undo that? How do you address it? How, we don't keep saying, well, let's just all get along. 
We've been saying that for 400 years, right? That, that sort of language has been in just about every, every presidential inauguration, you know, speech, inaugural speech since the beginning of time. That has taken us as far as it's going to take us. We are an informed, we are a learned, we are an intelligent, we are an active uh, nation, and we are ready to go to the next step. And the next step is everything we've done so far has gotten us here. But this doesn't seem to be able to take us over this hump. What's the hump? This disparity. How do you deal with the disparity? We step it back and we go, hold on. I want to see what you're suggesting because I'd like to see if it's within the range of precedent or are we inventing precedent? And I'd like to see your papers. Is this something that you are invested in because of the issue or because of the person? And those Things are the things that must be considered for quite some time until we as a country can go. I feel comfortable that we're going to be making decisions based on the behavior, right? Based on the social rules. We don't have that comfort now as a country, and there's no way to get it without engaging on race. There's absolutely no way. The beautiful thing is that the way to do it doesn't eclipse, doesn't exclude anyone by race it doesn't include anyone by race we make a rule and we follow what we're expecting which is one rule fully applied across the board so as long as we apply that rule a lot of people are going to be filtered out naturally because of their predilections right and so i think that's where she was going i can't really trust you to be fair because history teaches us that that that's not the case and that history teaches that there's a reaction here versus informed behavior here and we want to stop history how do we stop that process here's a simple way to say it no white people participate but behind that what it means is we are not discovering brand new today and so we want to see that you have have really earn the right to participate in this conversation. And I say that often to people. Mm, You haven't really earned the right to have that conversation with me. I am not the teacher. I am the test, right? You can go talk to your friends. You can go talk to the internet to learn the foundational stuff, but it doesn't appear that you have invested in this before. And I'm we're not, we don't start your investment with your participation you start your investment like everyone does with your learning. Um, And so I think that's where she's coming from. And I support it aggressively. I don't support, I won't ever say, you can't have a conversation because you're white. I will say, you got to have a conversation that you are vetted for. Otherwise, I need you on the bench. I need you learning before you're talking. Everyone should be saying that across the board, right? And I, so, so that is my understanding of the point. It's, 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 it's a simpler way to say it. It's, it's also a more inflammatory way to say it. And it's an easy way to get derailed, which is why I don't say it. I'm not going to um, sort of chase the, you know, not my monkey, not my circus. So I'm not going to chase extra issues, but I will back that one. I will back it and say, all right, if you like the explanation, here it is, right? Here's why. What are you teaching us? about how this works. Are you asking me to go person by person to take you on faith, knowing what we know, to allow participation, to potentially have that skew the process at my risk because you want to participate without having earned that pro- the, the right to do so. Now, if you just want to have a conversation and, and you want to blow it off, go do it over there. 
Don't come into this forum where we're looking to move something forward so that you can vent. And an opinion is not valuable and an informed opinion is. Miss Pugh, and that is the reason that I wanted you on the program. Thank you. And I, I appreciate that because let me give you an example with the Academy. Okay. So with the Academy, you have Bill Cosby, right? And you know, Bill Cosby was convicted in April of 2018 of, of um, sexual assault of, of a, a woman, a specific woman. And then uh, April 2018, he was convicted. May 2018, he was ejected from the Academy, right? Uh, at the same time, on the same day, <laughs> In the same action, the Academy also ejected Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, however, had committed his acts, not just years, 1977 is when he was originally charged, 1978, right, is when he entered a plea uh, for, he had six counts, five were dismissed in a plea bargain. Roman Polanski, when it when he became aware that that perhaps the, that the judge who agreed to the the plea, uh, the sort of the conditions of the plea, they're not bound. They're just sort of uh, judges are just sort of informed, and they don't really have to be locked in. When when Mr. Polanski got the was became aware that the the judge was not going to adhere to that, boom, he was gone. He got on a foot plane to London and eventually ended up in France. Right, and so that case is actually still not. Resolved, but he remained a member of the academy. Not just did he remain a member, he won. He was he won while he was on the lamb. <laughs> he yeah. won while he was in the wind, right? And so nothing changed with Roman Polanski from the time Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby's acts were in two thousand four. Okay, and so from nothing changed from seventy seven to two thousand four. Nothing changed from two thousand four to two thousand eighteen. But what did happen was a brother committed the act. Now you know what Roman Polanski did. Roman Polanski drugged and raped a 13-year-old child, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and, and this is this is not an Olympic uh, who's more, but we're not going to pretend that that was, that was a difficult call to make, right, right? Right, And so nothing happened in between those things. It's just that the Academy was had discovered accountability, had discovered propriety and moral turpitude and right and wrong, and Bill had to go. Uh-oh. And well, so got to go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So you get the teeth versus the tolerance. And there could be no stronger way to say this is what happens. The academy, thank you very much, said we also do it. Oops, right? And so now we know instead of just jumping in and do it again, let's slow down and say what's the standard? What's the expected behavior? What's the range of consequences? Now let's apply them. And if you want to depart from that range, I need you to make that case out loud, right? If you, if the departure is, oh, you know, well, it happened on the awards. Okay, well, I have it here. It happened on the awards too. I actually have multiple uh, events that happened on the Academy during the, during the Academy Awards. And so if that's the rule, then everyone needs to follow the rule and they all have to go. Are we okay with that? No. Well, then what's the difference? Is it violence, you know, an assault? Well, I've got multiple examples of assault during the academy, after the academy. If that's the rule, absolutely. Will Smith has to go and so does everyone else. Are we comfortable with that? All right. That's all we want. In fact, I'm not even landing 
on what I'd like to see happen. I yield the floor. I'm anything, absolutely anything you can live with, I can live with too, right? As long as we're all living with it. I need the rule. I need it to be applied currently. And if you're if you're going to apply it retroactively, if you're going to make a new rule, then it goes there forward, which means the act that triggered it doesn't count. If the act that triggered it counts, that means we can go backwards. We're going all the way backwards. Pick your poison. Whatever we do, I need you to understand we're going to have one rule. That's it. And that's what we should want for the nation. That's the nation that we've learned about as children. And this is the narrative that we needed when Twitter exploded. Yeah. This is a narrative right. that we needed. And I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'm glad that you checked my statement when uh, I addressed Arturo Dominguez, because what that does is it, it lays a reason for the plan. And, and that's what I like to do. I mean, whenever you, you check something, you want to go out there and put it out there. Now, um, last, last thing, uh, Ms. Pugh, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What's a great way for the, the Academy to wrap this up? Right. And um, I thought about that a lot. And it's not my place to grow the rule. I'm not a neophyte on the issue. So I'm not just jumping in. But I, I, I do think that the academy is facing an extraordinary opportunity to do right and to teach. Right. And by that, I mean, let's stop right now. Um, the academy issued a, a statement back in back after uh, Adam Kimmel, Adam Kimmel was also ejected from the Academy for Sexual Impropriety, Harvey Weinstein, the Academy issued a statement then, and it said, and I'm going to read it, the Academy has a stated policy against abusive and indecent behavior. This was pu- published in Variety. It was published in Variety. The Academy had a policy against against abusive and indecent behavior. It takes all matters involving harassment, assault, or misconduct very seriously. That was years ago that it said it, long before this, right? The Academy hasn't actually done that, as we know. The Academy went on to say, we have an honor system. We rely on the integrity of members and blah, 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 blah. But what we do know about the Academy is it has only responded when folks have been outed. It has not proactively responded to anyone. And this would be another one with Will Smith. But this is a great opportunity for the Academy to go, yeah, I think we might be doing this wrong. Number one. Number two, this is an awesome opportunity for the academy to evolve up, right? To raise the ceiling and not raise the floor. And by that, I mean, you know, Will Smith is is one of the things that I love about him. I think he needs to do it a little better, a little more more sincerely, is that he's really big on self-reflection and introspection. Now, anybody can get up and pop somebody in the state in the face on stage, knowing what he knows about the world and media is really not doing his self work. Right. But he does like that to move that muscle. This is a great time to say, hold on for one sec. We've got a whole group of folks. And by that, I mean, specifically black men, because black women aren't having it for ourselves, but black men are the one group in the country who you know, everyone else that gets to be stopped by the police, right? To an extent, um, Black women, but without exception, Black men, the police get to be trained. They're trained and they're armed, but they get to react out of fear. I shot you because I was afraid I was safe. 
As a black man, you're a civilian. You have not been trained, but you must, you must compose yourself with the kind of, of, of self-control we would like an armed trained person to have, but doesn't. And so there is no safe way for black men to feel, to fail, to cry, to, to need mental health, to fall over any of those things. This is a great time to say, Hey, you know what? It might be cool to bring together, I don't know, 50 of your best friends, go out to an Island, go out with some therapists, go out with some cameras, stay out there for an hour and have a retreat, man, and see what we can do with the, this moment. And, and the Academy could very well say, I'd love to be a part of that. Right. Um, Cause you've already taken the consequence that we would take, but we, we want more than just to smack you on the hand. We want good people. They could, the Academy could stop and go, Oh gosh, we don't really have a policy about getting drunk before the show, you know, about bringing alcohol to the show or, or whatever it is. They could, they could look at those things. They could move proactively and in, in a way to say, we want to do better going forward. We want to address what happened and we want to address our lack of addressing, period. And so I'd like to see, you know, I think that'd be great for Smith, too. I mean, he doesn't need to be at the red table. I think he needs to be out somewhere with a bunch of brothers and they need to be having that this this conversation about what do you do when you piss? You know, that kind of thing. Um, I'd like to see all we're talking about is we're angry at Smith. We're angry. You know, he's let us down and, and Chris was great and blah, blah, blah. Well, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this in a way that's not brand new in a way where, where we're discovering bad behavior? How do we get out of this in a way that we're discovering people, the, the, the fallible nature of people and to get, and we still want to be contributors to, to the greatness of the nation. That's what I'd like to figure out. That's what I like to have these conversations. What's the wildest thing we could do to move this? Right. We'd be talking about something else. If the Academy came out and said right now, that was the craziest stuff I've ever seen. I've never seen anything that crazy. I tell you what, I have this this anger management person and these 16 people. I'd love to see you guys work this up. I'd love to see something real. We'd be like, oh, my God, (laughs) we wouldn't be talking about the slap. We wouldn't. We don't have to be. And I don't think we should be. I think we can do better. Catherine Pugh an American author and attorney. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Mm, my thanks go to you because these are conversations that we need to be having in a lot broader way. So kudos to you for stopping and going, hold on, can we be missing something? Let's talk about it. So thank you. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willies, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please get one of my several books out there 
as I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics Done Right for the program, and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. 